could she be? Gotta find her. Got no choice. Where, where, where? What a wuss. Hey, want a race? <laughs> Parker hates it when I get the drop on him. I hate it when he gets the drop on me. on to the discussion portion of this issue making its triumphant return for the first time since issue number nine in order to properly tackle the place that spider-man occupies in the legacy of both the character's game library and superhero video games overall i've enlisted three very special guests to join me first up he's the webmaster of comicgamersassemble.com has one of the most impressive collections of comics-based video games that i've ever seen and is using his vast knowledge of his favorite character to create a book about Spidey's forays into the video game medium due out soon, Mr. Blair Farrell. Blair, how you doing? Uh, very good. Nice lazy Sunday playing some Dreamcast, rocking my Insomniac Spider-Man shirt, and ready to talk about some Spider-Man. Awesome. Sounds perfect. Next, he's the creator of the incredible YouTube channel Panels to Pixels, creating his own very impressive commentaries on both the history and the future of comics-based gaming, Mr. Josh Sutton. Josh, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be amongst esteemed my esteemed comic gamer uh, colleagues. <laughs> it's wonderful. Thank you, sir. And finally, the creator of Superhero.VG, his own wonderful YouTube channel, a former employee of Marvel Games who worked on five modern Spider-Man video games, as well as the author of the wonderful book, Wrong! Retro Games, You Messed Up Our Comic Book Heroes!, Mr. Chris Baker joins us to talk about Spider-Man 2000. Chris, thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for uh, saying the name of my book in a, in a very uh, meaningful, well-articulated way. Uh, it's, it's a very long title. It doesn't need to be that long. Uh, but, but no, it, it, seriously, it's, it's great to be here. I've been a fan of this podcast since before I knew you. I've been a fan of Joss's channel since before I knew him. Uh, and... Uh, I don't know how Blair, how much Blair knows how his website actually helped me write that book at times. So, uh, you know, I've been a fan of all you guys and now you're like three of my best Internet friends. And uh, <laughs> that's great. No, it's true, man. I mean, uh, it's it's great that I feel like Blair, like he said before, is the Nick Fury of the group, you know, because we all maintain an online chat. We talk to each other all the time about comic space video games. I think it's one of our favorite topics. And it's uh, and it's just a lot of fun. So I'm really glad that that we can all come together for a pretty momentous video game, if I do say so myself. So I figured that a good place to start the discussion would be where this game stands in the larger pantheon of Spidey games for you guys personally. Now, hopefully people who listen to comics on consoles are familiar with the work that you gentlemen do in the realm of comics-based gaming. But for the stragglers that may not be, Start by giving me an idea of what Spider-Man as a character means to you, why his representation in video games is important to you, and where you think Spidey 2000 sits in the character's interactive legacy. Josh, why don't you kick us off? Uh, well, Spider-Man, it feels like a character who was always around in my life, particularly in gaming. I think 
uh, one of the first games I ever played was would have been uh, Spider-Man versus the Kingpin on the Sega Mega Drive. And I, that, that might have even been my first ever encounter with the character. But, you know, in terms of what he means to me, I've, I've, I liked a lot of th- things, a lot of dumb things when I was a child. And Spider-Man is <laughs> one of only a handful of things that I'm still talking about in my late 20s. So I think there's got to be a reason behind that. And, uh, and you know, part of that is his legacy in gaming as well as comics. And just the fact that that character has, has endured as he has for, uh, what has it been now? It's, 50 60 years or in, in to, comics we're, we're closer to 60 than we are to 50 now I think he just turned 56 this wow. past month this in august it was uh 56 yes so yeah i mean um that's what he means to me in terms of sorry i forgot the second part of the question <laughs> No, no, no. It's, it's all right. The, what about the, the Spidey 2000 game as far oh, as yeah. the overall legacy? Of course, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's so much to say about the legacy of that game and, and its influence uh, on, the, on kind of modern games. It was kind of the first of the modern games. You can really draw a line between that and things that the previous Spider-Man games, things like Maximum Carnage and even the dreaded Web of Fire on the 32X and things like that. So it really... <laughs> Not if you own it. <laughs> it's worth a lot of money. For those who don't know what that means. So um, you know, I, it, that's where its legacy is. It's it, it was it's the it's the Sergeant Peppers of video games. It kind of everything <laughs> changed after that point. I say that looking up at a humongous Sergeant Peppers poster above my uh, desk. So that's why it popped into my head. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're going to elaborate more on this as the discussion goes along. But that's that's where it stands uh, in terms of its legacy for me. Perfect. That's a wonderful perspective. Blair, how about you? Um, well, Spider-Man, I, I mean, God, it's so crazy to think about. Uh, I My earliest memories, like a lot of people, maybe is the, the 60s cartoon. We have a local channel called NTV, and it used to play the reruns all the time. And that was really my first introduction. I remember my nan bought me a pair of Spider-Man pajamas, and it was like the costume with a little, tiny little hood and I look forward to bedtime, which is a weird thing as a kid, because I just wanted to put on my Spider-Man costume and play Spider-Man before like I went to sleep. And why it's kind of stuck with me over the years, as uh, I kind of bring up in my book, I, I'm, I grew up in a really small town and in the 90s where uh, things like comics and, and video games didn't make you the most popular kid in a town where people just like going in the woods and driving around in their ATVs and stuff. So I really related to the story about this kid who, you know, he had trouble making friends and fitting in and then he got to escape in this role of Spider-Man. And that's how I kind of escaped into spider-man comics whether that's video games or cartoons which was a big thing for me more so than any of the comics as they were hard to come by um his i think his representation of video games has been important because he is such an important character and i'm seeing so many people now where i'm it's such an insane pressure on the people making these games i can only imagine Everyone's been pretty positive towards Insomniac, except if you're reading some crazy people over the last couple of weeks. But I can only imagine the pressure that anyone has to take when they're taking on this license, as we've established, when your 60-year-old character is beloved by millions around the world. 
uh, as to where this would fall in my kind of uh, favorite Spider-Man games, it's definitely always, it ships around the top five. It's around this and Spider-Man 2, Ultimate Spider-Man, Shattered Dimensions, and Maximum Carnage. It's always those five until Friday, of course, which I'm sure that's going to change, but I'm sure it will still even be in there after then. Sure. Very understandable. Chris, what about you? Yeah, you know, uh, obviously I'm a, a huge fan of Spider-Man. Uh, you know, and I, I grew up, I'm older than you guys, I'm in my 40s. Uh, and I grew up, my first experience with Spider-Man was probably uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends in the early 80s on NBC every Saturday morning. Uh, so I grew up thinking that Spider-Man lived in an apartment where he, uh, had like a secret, like spider computer kind of thing where, you know, I think they pulled a trophy and like the apartment transformed into like a superhero hideout and all that. And, you know, he hung out with Firestorm or Firestar, not Firestorm, uh, Firestar and, and Iceman. Uh, you know, uh, and back then, like, uh, there's actually a picture of me. I think I'm three years old and I'm wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt. You know, I, I probably was not involved in that purchase decision, but you know, my, <laughs> my uh, parents, uh, knew early on, I guess my taste, but you know, I really wasn't, I was always a fan of the character, but I wasn't really a fan of the character until probably, uh, the nineties, uh, when, you know, the cartoon came out even though I was borderline too old to be watching Saturday morning cartoons at that point. Uh, and, You're among friends. Don't worry about it. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys were, were still kids, though, at that point. I was in my mid-teens, at least. Uh, and then, you know, also the Maximum Carnage game uh, was uh, actually played a, a big role because uh, I really enjoyed that game. It familiarized me with uh, not only more into Spider-Man and, and Venom, but... Uh, you know carnage too of course but like just really weird stuff like shriek and uh you know i never, never heard of iron fist before he was in that game uh so you know that was a kind of a, a breakthrough moment there too but you know i think the thing about the character that i really like is that he, i think more so than any comic book character at the end of the day he's the most like me peter is uh you know kind of uh, you know definitely the geek a million people have said this kind of thing, but, you know, he was definitely a geek in, in high school and all that. And, and but, you know, he, he also has like a sense of humor to him, uh, tries to take things in stride no matter how uh, how tough things get. And, you know, I like to think that's kind of how I live my life. So I have a I can't walk on walls, but, you know, I definitely have a, sort of a, a Peter Parker thing going on. Um, sure. But yeah, so uh, then in 2000 uh, is when this game came out and yeah i, I think it, it just played a, a huge role uh, not only in like the way people looked at spider-man as a video game character but in the way that people looked at superheroes as video game characters you know there were certainly some good superhero games before that but uh you know i think this is uh certainly the first 3d superhero game that really kind of uh, was something that just a regular gamer who wasn't necessarily a, a fan of comic books or whatever could get a lot out of. And if you were a comic book fan, uh, all the more, you know, like I, I actually like to think of it kind of as a uh, uh, as fitting in the universe of the 90s cartoon. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't exactly, but it, it actually kind of does. You know, it could it could have been like a lost episode of that. 
so, you know, and, and just, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of games that came out uh, with superheroes like on the PlayStation. Uh, mm. But it was not until this game came out near the end of the PlayStation's life cycle that we actually had a good one outside of the Marvel versus Capcom, uh, you know, fighting games that had come out. But you right, know, those, yeah. are, those are fighting games. It's a whole other kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. a whole other kind of thing. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think the the impact that this game had is obviously huge and it only got bigger, you know, Spider-Man only got bigger as the games went on. Um, and yeah, it's still still one of my favorite games for sure. Starring great. Brother. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great perspective. Well, let's talk about those early days of 3D gaming because, and as I expounded on in in the main part of the issue, to me, Spider-Man is an important title in the context of ultimately getting superheroes in three dimensions just in general right for the future. So as a 3D game, do you think, uh, trying to kind of divorce it from the superhero genre, just focusing on where it stands as a 3D action game, do you guys think that Spider-Man was a standout for its time or not so much when compared to like the, the Tomb Raiders that would come along? And by that same token, how well do you think it holds up uh, now as a 3D game? Blair, what do you think? Uh, I think it, it it holds up and it was good for the time. The, the big problem that would be corrected around the movie game was that the, there is no camera control to speak of, which is really obnoxious especially in certain fights uh every fight with venom uh mm-hmm. the one in the alley and the one in the sewer you just can't see where he's to and he'll just kind of jump up behind you which is actually kind of cool because it's indicative of how he he doesn't trigger your spider sense so he would be able to sneak up on you but it's still really annoying um but yeah i mean i i played spider-man last week i i periodically throw it on i own it on three different consoles last week was the n64 game and it's still really fun to play and if you just play on easy it's just so much fun just to breeze through it's pretty casual hour and a half to get through even shorter maybe and it's it's still fun to play and i think with the panel we have we kind of grew up with 3d games a little so i can see maybe people younger having trouble going back to it but we kind of had the growing pains of 3d games where we were playing stuff like tomb raider like chris mentioned where everything was in like weird grids and for me i love uh, a game called Mega Man legends where you have to constantly keep adjusting the camera with a trigger button so even like capcom productions still weren't locking down 3d so it's a little bit clunky but i mean it was I was kind of thinking about this and it's weird to think in the terms of another game being like Superman 64, where (laughs) like you had Neversoft and you had Titus and you had to figure out how to make these characters work in 3d. And one was a huge success and the other was Superman 64, but (laughs) how to make like a 3d game where I don't think I had played a game where you can climb on walls and swing and kind of hover above enemies and making levels that take advantage of that. It was really incredible, especially when you were kind of learning for the, they were all learning for the first time how to do that. And it's really astounding yeah. what they're managed to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Chris, what do you think about that? It's, it's current status and it's status at the time and as a 3d title. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. 
current what do you mean by current status exactly like uh well just how it holds up yeah well i haven't played it uh, in a long time so i'm not going to answer that but i imagine as much as a game that is that old uh does hold up it probably is up there uh like blair mentioned the the one thing I, i definitely remember being its biggest weakness was the camera um you know i i think uh I haven't listened to your your actual podcast about the game yet, Chris, but I'm sure you cover that it's done by Neversoft, who was uh, doing Tony Hawk, and it's from yep. the, the Tony Hawk engine. So, uh, you know, I don't know like how much uh, that has to do with uh, both the the uh, the good things they pulled off and and the the parts where it wasn't so great uh, in terms of uh, camera. Okay, and and yeah, as a 3D game, you know, it's interesting because. Uh, I actually think this is probably the last great game on the PlayStation one because, hmm. uh, this was about two months before the PS2 came out. Uh, you know, there may have been some other, uh, like really good games on PS one, but, um, for the most part, all the attention was going to the PS2 from here hmm. on out. Uh, so, you know, uh, this, Spider-Man doesn't get like uh, mentioned in the same breath as, say, like Metal Gear Solid or Tomb Raider or something like that. And, you know, maybe it doesn't quite deserve to be there, but it's close. I think it's really close. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it is it's a game that just, uh, you know, it stands uh, it stands out on its own as just being fun to play for its time. Uh, and looking really nice and just respecting the character, you know, more than any Spider-Man game especially had. That's for sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, you know, even, as much as I like Maximum Carnage, like Spider-Man just doesn't go down on the street and just beat up random punks and move along <laughs> and beat up more random punks and move along, which is pretty much all that game is. You know, uh, I mean, even yeah. uh, even Sega's arcade game was that exact thing. Same thing, right? Like. Uh, I'm still waiting for a Spider-Man comic where a female henchman comes up and whips him with her hair. Still waiting <laughs> on that. Yes. Uh, you know, I think probably the closest that we had gotten to like uh, respecting the character uh, to its max at that point was the the Sega console game. You know, the one we mentioned earlier that was on Genesis. And then uh, the Sega CD game was like an enhanced version of that. Uh, you know, but still you had things like Spider-Man punching cops, uh, a lot of the time, like cops were like, he, if you, if you lost it, you know, you're, you need to continue the game. The animation was Spider-Man in jail, punching a cop to get out of jail. That was like, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you don't have any of that in this game. Uh, it respects the character immensely. Pretty much, uh, from what I can recall, like most of the characters were on point in terms of what they can do. Uh, you know, their their kind of uh, threat level uh, was great. The the ending of the game is fantastic when uh, Carnage and uh, well, the Carnage symbiote and Doctor Octopus combined. Like that mm. kind of blew me away. Like that was a huge <laughs> fan moment. And and now actually in comics recently we have. Uh, Green Goblin uh, combining with the Carnage symbiote to become the Red Goblin. So in some ways, it was doing that, you know, almost 20 years before uh, the <laughs> actual uh, comics were doing it. So uh, it was really creative in that regard as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. 
Josh, what do you think as far as uh, where it stands as an early 3D game and if it still holds up? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is at the it's at the tail end of the PS One thing uh, uh, life cycle, and I think as as the other guys alluded mm-hmm. to, I think the reason that it maybe isn't um, as revered to younger younger or, or more to, in the contemporary gamer sphere now is because it doesn't necessarily hold up as well as something like Spider Man Two. Um, but having said that, like thinking about it at the time. Uh, I I was thinking before, you know, about the camera. The camera, yeah, the lack of camera is a problem, Mm. but you compare it to something like the GTA series 3 and Vice City, which, you know, those are next-gen games. They they were kind of a few years after this, and they also didn't have a a movable camera. And those games, you know, they're the games that kind of made the PS2, well, they're part of the reason the PS2 became the biggest selling console at the time. Um. So, I mean, comparing it to other 3D action games of the time, this is four years after the likes of uh, uh, Crash Bandicoot or Tomb Raider. And I I do think it makes some uh, improvements on those things. And the, the game I would kind of compare it to is um, Tenchu or that series anyway. It kind of feels more in line with that because it isn't a platformer, really. It's... Uh, and... Yeah, I think it holds up. I don't know. It's difficult to say, and I think Blair said this as well. Going back to it now, we we grew up with that game, and so I I played it a bit today to try and refresh my memory, and it just it feels comfortable. Nothing about it feels odd. Uh, it feels really responsive. I I was I particularly took mm-hmm. notice of the of the jump. The jump feels really good. It it's a good height. It's not extreme, and it and it feels responsive and springy. You know, it miles above Tomb Raider, which was an earlier earlier game which had problems with things like that. So I think it does, and I think it. At the end of the day, I think it's it's more the visuals that me, that is the reason that it doesn't hold up than anything. As with that first generation of three D games, they're kind of they lack the kind of retro coolness really of the sixteen bit thing, which is kind of in, it became in vogue with indie <laughs> games, kind of basing themselves on that style, and and they and it lacks the kind of realism that kind of came towards the end of the PS two era. So I think. I think yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, and again, this is the this is the dawn of cinematics in a way. You know, Metal Gear Solid was kind of a big breakthrough in that, and so yeah, I, I think it's more the visuals that don't hold up than anything. But I think people who grew up with it can look past that, really. Mm-hmm. You know, even still to to that end. Sorry, sorry, Josh. Uh, even to, to to that end, like uh, there is a full. Uh, uh, m- Sorry, I saw a full 3D character. Uh, I can't talk. A three, a full 3D character model viewer in the game. So you know, as much as we may look back at that now and think that it's not really that impressive, at the time it was. You know, mm-hmm. at the time it was like you know, not only do we think this looks good, we think it looks so good that you're gonna want to take the model and spin it around. I can't remember if you could zoom in or on or not, but. Uh, pretty much any character model that existed in the game, you could do that with. Yeah, that's true. I think one of the things too, and I mentioned it in uh, in the episode proper, is that you know it's hard to to predict exactly how people are going to view a game like this, uh, like let's say in a generation, right? Because it's not going to be too long before 
a kid's born who ends up growing up loving Spider-Man, who looks back on uh, on the character's gaming history and might look at this game the way that I look at the Atari 2600 game, you know, as someone who wasn't around when the 2600 was on the market and uh, didn't really come into uh, gaming generally until, I mean, I started in the 8-bit era, but most I got hardcore into it in the 16-bit era. It's It's hard to see how it's going to be taken, but at the same time, you know, it has a, a clearly uh, illustrated narrative from beginning to end with full voice acting and the cinematics that, you know, may not look great in comparison today, but they're still eminently watchable and I, I think entertaining. So it's hard for me to try and predict into the future exactly how it's going to hold up for a future generation just because, you know, the technology is going to get... Uh, completely superannuated by well i mean it kind of already is but it will be even further so when we get into future hardware generations if they exist you know there's all this our consoles going to exist in the future but uh no i think it's a i think those are all very very valid perspectives because uh i mean that's one of the things that i try and push forward in 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 this show is that it's the grandfather of certainly the superhero games that we appreciate today. But I also do think that it has a, a pretty important place in, in the larger uh, zeitgeist of 3d gaming. But you know, uh, I think you could, Oh, sorry, Chris. No, please. Uh, I was just going to say, I think you could probably, uh, I think now even is we're at a point where if you're 10 years old, you know, you're born in 2008. This is eight years before that, which is, you know, almost half your life ago, <laughs> uh, <laughs> almost double your life ago. Uh, there, there was this, uh, game that came out and, you know, if you're 10 right now, do you care about that game that came out in 2000? Probably not. I think you might actually, if you're really interested in the medium of video games and you're really interested in the character of Spider-Man, I think that's the kind of thing when you mature a bit, maybe you're 15, 18, uh, mm -hmm. Then you go back and, and look and you start to discover this kind of stuff, kind of like, you know, you might discover a movie that came out 10 years before you're born or or like, you know, I, I found comics from the 60s and 70s really hard to read for a really long oh, yeah. time. And in some ways they, they still are. But, you know, I'm certainly very interested to know what happened and, you know, that just the kind of way they looked and you know the characters being introduced and that sort of thing so i certainly haven't read every issue of amazing spider-man from the 60s but i have gone back and i've looked over the highlights and it's part of my just kind of getting to know the general uh kind of zeitgeist of the character i guess uh and i think like this kind of thing fits into that Oh, sure. And, you know, I think that especially with these games, if you do become interested in the histories of the characters at large, these kinds of other media efforts can be snapshots of where the uh, where the character was viewed at this point in history. The, the, the thing that always comes up for me, you know, I live outside Chicago right now, so I'm not too far from Six Flags Great America, where they have a roller coaster called Superman Ultimate Flight. And when you're walking in the line queue to get on the, the actual coaster, there are billboards set up at the length of the line queue 
that have biographies for a bunch of different Superman supporting characters, along with images of how they looked in 90s comics. So the Supergirl that's there is the Matrix Supergirl, who isn't actually (laughs) Kryptonian. She's an alien shapeshifter. And Superboy has the fade haircut. And uh, and Superman looks very Dan Jurgensy, and uh, you know it's got older designs for the villains and those things does like he have that. Have the mullet? He doesn't have. No, he does. Yeah, he does have the mullet. Yeah, nice. he does. And it's like that's really interesting because that was the era of Superman comics that the mainstream was obsessed with for a little while after the death of Superman. Right. And it's just one of those things where you can look and see how people at large viewed these characters in the context of that time. And I think video games are absolutely a part of that too. It seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, cause I don't know if you guys uh, were picking up like ultimate Spider-Man when it first started coming out, but it seemed like around 2000 or so there was uh, the, the sort of tone of those early Lee Ditko Ramita Spider-Man stories kind of became popular again because that's what it seems like this game tries to push forward tonally in its story. Do you think that's accurate? I think this game hit at like a really strong time as I think of twice in my lifetime around Spider-Man comics. It was around 95 to 2000 where the character of Spider-Man was a bit of a pariah. Like I remember reading that's when I got into comics and everything I was reading was DC because mm-hmm. it was around Marvel's bankruptcy period. I remember there were so many jokes in Wizard Magazine where Spider-Man would just look like a hobo with like a brown paper bag liquor bottle in his hand. Oh, geez. And it was just like always poking fun because it was Marvel's bankruptcy period where everything was. I mean, I, I didn't read a lot of Marvel comics, but I remember seeing them in stores and he looked really cheap. And mm. I, I there was never really any hype for them. But then... 2000 it was kind of like this whirlwind of here's ultimate spider-man here's this new video game it's the first 3d spider-man game ever and then there's like the movie was hitting so it was all of these spider-man things and it kind of hit at the perfect time so that's why like this game kind of fits in that kind of Mm -hmm. uh, sure yeah okay and like it was like that and like around the uh the one more day era where there was like after Spider-Man three. And there was also that time when Ooh, Spider-Man boy. kind of like fell off, but then came back as he always does. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think Spider-Man will ever be unpopular for a long time, but there has been eras that have been well less regarded than others. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Chris, you were a member of the gaming press at the time that this game came out. Uh, working for the official PlayStation magazine. Is that right? That is correct. Official U.S. PlayStation, PlayStation Fish- magazine. If you right. want to get the whole uh, <laughs> you know, OPM. OPM is what everyone called us. Sure. So yeah. if you could go back for us and paint a picture of the climate of gaming from your perspective at the time, because I'm sure that working in that office uh, gave you some some pretty decent access to what the 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 general zeitgeist of the video gaming world was especially in an era before comic book games were really paid much attention to uh, compared with today so with that what did the arrival of spider-man bring to the table for the games of the time and for you personally and what was it like getting the chance to actually review it for opm 
yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I mentioned earlier that there really weren't any good superhero games at all on PlayStation up to that point, mm-hmm. which was very near the end of the life cycle. And, you know, when this game came out, our our magazine was already like gearing up for the, the PS2 launch. Like that was that that was why people were buying our magazine more so i think than the reviews of ps1 games at the time <laughs> uh but uh you know um it and you know we we're, were also in a period where uh we talked about uh superman on nintendo 64 earlier uh that was a year before this uh mm-hmm. they actually canceled that game on playstation because it was uh, i think because it was so poorly received right um and uh, you know, so like that was the last kind of uh, real superhero video game launch, and it didn't go over well, even even in the purely PlayStation uh, kind of perspective. Everyone knew about that game and how bad it was. So, you know, uh, we were and, 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 you know, just in general, this was an era of of movie games coming out for pretty much any action movie Uh all kinds of licensed stuff and it usually wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it had <laughs> the superhero games were terrible. Licensed games were generally not good. So it had uh, kind of all the odds against it. So it was actually pretty easily dismissed if you weren't a fan of the character, which, you know, I, I, I was uh, getting into my being a hardcore uh fan of the character that that probably came most around when the the movie came out but you know i I was definitely more of a fan than like pre-maximum carnage and and pre uh pre the the tv show and everything Mm -hmm. but uh around this time it it really actually made me super excited Uh, i i first saw it before i started working for that magazine at uh it was on the cover of electronic gaming monthly about a year before uh, which was in the same building as OPM. And so I would eventually know those guys who wrote that story. Um, but yeah, so it it was like uh, people were kind of impressed with the way that it looked and everything because it actually was a very good looking game. Uh, just the kind of comic book aesthetic really came through. And I think that really worked for it, worked really well uh, on, a, on the PlayStation where you know the graphics were a little simpler a lot simpler than we're used to now sure you had all these bright costumes and and uh comic book environments and that sort of thing that kind of really made it uh shine through so to impress people and so people were you know they as the kind of information came out and the screenshots came out like everyone was sort of uh getting a, a positive view of it uh but people like me who were really into comics uh were getting super invested and uh i was really happy with the way it turned out i gave it a five out of five in my review um you know most reviews were somewhere like in the 80 percent so i was higher than most probably because i'm a fan but you know uh i i don't regret it (laughs) it's one of the few five out of fives i gave and i do think it is uh uh still one of the most important superhero games. Uh, you know, I think probably Arkham Asylum is the most important superhero game, but uh, this is certainly for its time was the most important superhero game. It's funny um, that you bring up Arkham Asylum because it seems like, uh, at least with what you're describing, 
both Arkham Asylum and Spider-Man had kind of similar trajectories. I mean, maybe Spider-Man didn't make as much of a big splash as Arkham Asylum did comparatively, but uh, you know, they both seem to, at least from what you're describing, come in kind of under the radar, but people thought that they looked kind of cool. And then when they actually yeah, came out, I, I think Arkham probably came in more under the radar because it had been so long. Actually, Batman's game history is 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 better than Spider-Man's before that. But it had been a really long time before like a really good Batman game had come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing in the 2000s. I mean, Vengeance was OK, I guess. But, you know, n- there was nothing really remarkable in the 2000s for Batman. And, uh, you know, so that one. That one definitely kind of was just this Batman game that IDOS was putting out back then. People forget that part, too. Right. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah. So but, you know, Spider-Man in 2000, uh, I I do think told the world that a 3D superhero game can be good at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. I think that's the. Probably the biggest takeaway. So kind of the same question then for Josh and Blair. Take us back to the time you first got to play Spider-Man. Were you aware or excited about it before it came out? And what did you guys feel when you actually got the controller in your hands and played it for the first time? Josh? Yeah, well, um, I I said to you guys earlier before we were on air that the first time I would have even seen this game would have been on the front cover of official UK PlayStation magazine. And, (laughs) And... I'm trying to think, like, had I seen even a 3D rendering of Spider-Man at the point? I think there were some commercials for the toys and, and things like that. And occasionally you'd get, like, a really dodgy 3D rendering in the in the animated series. But up to that point, it was, I think, the only time I'd ever seen a 3D Spider-Man would be someone dressed up or even, like, the Nicholas Hammond TV series and things like that. And sure. it was really striking to me seeing this, this character that I was so used to seeing in pen and ink, you know, kind of, leaping off the the front cover of this magazine to me um and that magazine um i think that must have come out a month before the game's release and it had a demo which was the the first level uh you know kind of going towards the bank heist and mm-hmm. you know I, I was it's just from playing that demo it was it was one of my favorite games of my of my childhood um but i just want to also because we've said you know how groundbreaking this is as a 3d superhero game and i know we also alluded to the the marvel versus capcom series but also i i want to kind of uh, pay lip service to x-men mutant academy which, sure yeah it's a terrific game i love that game yeah and and you know obviously it's a fine game so it's it's limited in the kind of scope of what it could do and and how much it could really you know turn the genre on its head really but the I think those two games and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 uh, all came out in September in Europe anyway. Um, or the, It was all within a month of each other. And th- those three games are really my fondest memories of the, of the PlayStation 1. And in terms of like them being at the tail end of the PS1's life, I think that's that you can also make an argument that that's when a lot of innovation happens is at the end of a, end of a console's life cycle. And I, I sure. think that... It, 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 I cannot overstate how it, I think it's difficult for people now really to to appreciate how this is pre films or anything. How crazy it was to see three D comic book characters. It really it was quite mind blowing at the time. Um, just going off the back of what you're saying about the the Arkham thing, um, I, I think that 
this really can be seen to be the, the Arkham of its day. And I think that the reason that they both succeed in that way, especially Arkham Asylum, I think there's a lot of parallels, is because they, as you were saying, it's it's a time capsule of of how the character was perceived at that time. And also I think mm-hmm. it succeeds in taking the best elements from every, it cherry picks the best elements from every adaptation of that character. So in, you know, in the same way that the Arkham series took the, 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 uh, the animated, uh, the DC animated universe and kind of took some of the voice actors, but paired it with this, this kind of like gritty realism of the Nolan films. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Spider-Man 2000, you know, does the same. You, you've got voice actors from Spider-Man Unlimited and the animated series and you know as you said the, the, i think the 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 fact that this this came off the back of spider-man's dark days of the clone saga and things like that uh and and the, the kind of the speculator bubble bursting you you get a distillation of the character that was very much influenced by the animated series and the animated series itself succeeds by simplifying that and saying you know, everything has got so bloated and convoluted in the comics. Let's take it back to to Liam Ditko or Liam Ramita. And and I, I think, yeah, I think that's where the success of this game lies in the same way that Batman Arkham Asylum said, let's take what works about this character and throw out everything else that doesn't. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very, very valid perspective and one that I completely agree with. Blair, how about you? How uh, How aware or excited were you before the game came out and what did you feel when you got to actually play it for the first time? I don't actually remember getting seen a lot of it. Uh, I only had a Nintendo 64 until actually Christmas of 2000. I um, So I was reading Nintendo Power and I don't remember getting a lot of coverage. There wasn't, I didn't remember, it wasn't really on my radar. Uh, the Christmas before 1999, my brother got a PlayStation but he was in university, so he would only be home for Christmas and the summer. But that Christmas, getting my teeth into a PlayStation, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe what I've been missing. I played like Metal Gear Solid and Resident Evil 3, and I, I couldn't wait to get back. And it was around that time when I started getting into other consoles, I became disenfranchised a little bit with Nintendo because I was had the N64 for so long. Um, the first time I remember seeing it, it was uh, commercials during the Electric Playground. I think Chris did a video about Spider-Man commercials, and it, you can find it in there. Uh, Chris Baker, rather, because I know there's two. Um, <laughs> and it was the commercial was like, you don't play it, you live it, and it looks so cool. And uh, I was around that time, actually. Um, the PlayStation 1 came out, the O-N-E. There was a PlayStation that was the size of like a sandwich container. And oh, right. a bunch of people I knew, they suddenly got a PlayStation 1 because it was super cheap. And they they all bought Spider-Man because I guess everyone was a huge Tony Hawk fan. And in the commercials, the last line is from the creators of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. So I guess that was a big push. And everyone was talking about it like, oh, man, there's this game. You can do all this stuff. And I was really jealous of them. And then in October of that year... I went to go visit my brother in uh, in Ottawa where he was in university and he went to a blockbuster and rented it and we played we sat down and played it. It was like so crazy as I was getting to experience all of this hype that people were talking about, talking about this game and how much fun it was. And it was such a cherished memory of mine. And then I renting out the N64 version when it came out in November being so disappointed because 
it uh all the presentation is sucked out like all the cutscenes are gone and even right. as i i totally forgot until last week when i replayed the n64 game uh it doesn't have the awesome remix of the theme song during the credits which is one of my favorite parts of that game uh, oh geez yeah it's it's it it has some short character models but yeah, that was, and that year, I remember like Chris talking about it, that year was a big year for the PlayStation. Um, it wasn't, they had that redesign, and a lot of people couldn't afford the PlayStation 2. I think it was $600 in Canada where I lived. And that year was such a big year. You still had Spider-Man came out in September. I think X-Men was during the summer. Final Fantasy IX came out, Dino Crisis 2, Mega Man Legends 2. There was like still a lot of life in the PlayStation and you know the PlayStation 2 was a new the next thing with DVDs but I think there was still a lot of life in the PlayStation to have something like this was you know a treat towards the end of that console life cycle and something was a lot easier to play when I eventually got my own PlayStation later that year. Mhm. Oh, that's awesome. That's a cool story. Well, uh Let's move on a little bit to some of the actual game content because we've talked so far about, you know, 3D games and and how, you know, managing the 3D space was pretty solid, especially for the time that it came out. But uh, what about how it represents the particularly the source material? So what do you guys feel that the game gets right and wrong? Uh, Get little yeah all right Moving i don't on. think anyone listening uh, other than me appreciates that, <laughs> that that's all right that was for you anyway but what do you guys <laughs> feel that the game gets right and wrong about representing spider-man just in general uh blair what about you is do, do you think that um there's anything why don't you start off with what you think it maybe gets wrong if if anything maybe you don't think it gets anything wrong uh it's tough to say um i can't really think of anything out top of my head the only thing i really uh i kind of don't like is carnage working i guess with dr octopus okay yeah, because uh, sure. i don't think carnage is the type of person who would team up with someone especially like that but it but in that it actually has a huge positive of mine and it's what i really think the game does right is how well it handles the source material like it it handles the mechanics of you know web slinging as simple as it was and sticking to walls but what's goes under appreciated is just exactly how much you learn about spider-man if this was your first ever spider-man if this was your introduction to the character even as early as level two it's something that's divorced from the plot, but you have Peter Parker calls J. Jonah Jameson about the technology heist at the start of the game, and he's being attacked by the Scorpion. And the Scorpion has nothing to do with the rest of it. You race to the Daily Bugle, you beat the Scorpion, but you have the established relationship of J. Jonah Jameson not trusting Spider-Man, a short introduction of the Scorpion, and Peter Parker's job and my favorite part um is actually in the middle of the game at the start of the venom section because you have these two things are happening simultaneously venom is on the new york jumbotron actually that's something that's wrong how did venom 
broadcast broadcast on the New York Jumbo. <laughs> How did I guess any journalism degree? <laughs> he he murdered like fifty people to get into the control room for that thing. And yeah, um, that's the, the dark story you don't hear. <laughs> but uh, that part because Venom has his wipe, but then Rhino is going to do a heist at a place called Omnitech. And Spider-Man, his origin is he turned the other, like he let this bad thing happen. Then now he's making up for it. And at that point, he says, life is giving me a lot. Life is taking a lot away. I'm paraphrasing. But, you know, there's people in Omnitech and they're in trouble. So we have to deal with them. So he's going to deal with the greater good as opposed to his own personal good. And that's that's Spider-Man in a nutshell and just that one part and going back, I guess, to the Doc Ock thing, it's it's kind of uh, like the, the carnage boss fight at the end because there's a big sonic bubble that you have to knock carnage into. And you're like, why why would there be this thing here? But when you think of Dr. Octopus and how he's this huge master planner, that he would have a contingency for carnage turning on him, and then he had a tool to take care of him. And like that and the Venom part are just, they just get Spider-Man so right. Uh, and mm. just the writing and the voice acting, like I think Rina Romano is such an underappreciated Spider-Man who only got to do this game, its sequel, and Spider-Man Unlimited, which I, I actually enjoy Spider-Man Unlimited for what it is, mostly for his delivery. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it, more so, even with all the mechanics, it get it got that right, but then it also got what made the characters, what made him last for so long, and why we're still talking about him and excited about a game that's coming out Friday. It's it's that's more probably something that I've learned more about this game more so than how it handles everything mechanically. Mm-hmm. Sure, and it's good that you mentioned Reno Romano because I I agree with you. Uh, and you know, since I played this game uh, a little bit later than, than you guys did, cause I didn't play it when it first came out, I first knew Reno Romano from, he, he had a voice role in a really good Star Trek first person shooter that I loved when I was a kid. And then of course he also got to play Batman. Uh, that's what I thought you were going to bring up. A pretty, pretty decent animated series, all things considered. It it's got just, a lot better it it went around. It started off pretty terrible, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, I love the way that it brought Robin in, but uh, but that's that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, that's, a whole that's, other discussion. that's a whole other thing. Chris, what do you think uh, the game gets right and wrong about representing Spider-Man? This is kind of in your, your general wheelhouse. Absolutely. So. Uh, and I, I, I think there's actually a pretty huge reason it gets so much right and that is that uh one of the producers behind the game who i believe was the man behind the story is a guy named tq jefferson uh he showed me the game when i was at opm in 2000 and you know he was super excited about it uh he pointed things out like yeah you know the villains we have here are pretty much uh you know the the really early spider-man villains because, uh, you know, we're kind of treating it like a, an early Spider-Man game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually, you know what? No, strike that. That was for the movie game. I'm wrong. Because uh, <laughs> uh, he showed me that, too. I'm getting my games mixed up here. But one of his <laughs> one of my one of the things he told me, uh, I remember when he, he showed us the game was in the second level. It's like a stealth mission or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, and he pointed out uh, the phrase I'll never forget. Uh, 
evil never looks up, uh, <laughs> which is why you know you were able to uh, to get everybody pretty easily. But the the cool thing too about TQ Jefferson is that eight years later he became my boss at Marvel Games. Uh, so you know the guy really knew his stuff. Um, yeah, he was he was uh, VP of Games from 2008 to 2014. We worked on a ton of stuff together and, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that everything uh, feels so Marvel because this guy is one of the biggest Marvel fans I've ever met. Uh, so, you know, in terms of things getting wrong, it's it's like it's it's like super picky stuff that you have to do for a video game. Right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Spider-Man in any video game, he can knock anybody out in one punch, you know, but that's not fun. <laughs> right sure yeah so it, it, it's like the the gamey kind of stuff you know there's i think you know there's no real goblin presence either in this or the sequel which i think is uh there is a secret weird. in the police chase yeah and that's about it <laughs> yeah that, that that's it there's no uh you know green, green goblin i think had just come back from the dead around this time in the comics uh but you know hobgoblin was like the main goblin at that point for a good 15 years or so. And, and I'm kind of surprised that he never made it in there. Um, so, you know, that's not wrong. That's just like, uh, you know, I, I would think this would be there. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, but you know, the, the, the kind of story that they told, I, it's a really good Spider-Man story and it ends in a really compelling way. And, and I think that's great. You know, I also love the, the Marvel cameos, um, yeah, I don't think there had been a game in, you know, either Marvel or DC that was, you know, did such a good job of incorporating them. You know, like there's a there's a moment with the Punisher throughout the course of the game, I remember. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, you know, that I can't remember if he meets Daredevil in the middle of it or if it's just at the end. But, you know, Captain America gets involved at the end. They have a game of Go Fish, right. which is <laughs> it's one of my favorite game endings ever because it's it's ridiculous, but it's fun to watch. It's super fun. Daredevil, why are you always looking at my cards? <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that Frank Castle would be invited to the same gaming table as Captain yeah. America is kind of funny, <laughs> but it's, but yeah, I, that, that endears me to it as well. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's just, it's just super fun, which at the end of the day, I think is what Spider-Man is, is just, you know, it, it, he represents the fun of comic books. Yeah. No, very well said. Absolutely. I mean, if any character can actually get that across, yeah, Spider-Man is probably kind of the poster child for that. Uh, Josh, how about you? What do you think the game, just from your own personal perspective on Spider-Man, gets right and wrong about him? Uh, I mean, in terms of what it gets wrong, again, there's, you know, only nitpicky stuff. Actually, Blur brought up the, the Carnage boss battle. And that's, mm -hmm. I, I would say that's probably the weakest boss battle in the game, but it's also the penultimate one. So it, that, that part always feels a bit anticlimactic to me. It, it kind of ruins the flow just before you go into. Actually, can I point something out there? You do need to like uh, kill him with sound, right? Yeah, it's a sonic bubble. Yeah, isn't that part it's of a sonic bubble? Yeah, because yeah, like up to this point in games, if you fought Carnage, you just beat the crap out of him and that was it. Right. So, you know, like they took the effort to it's it's a very important part of, of defeating carnage is you either beat him with fire or sound uh so they had sound in this case and i think that's the first time i think every other time you fought carnage which was a fair number of times in the 90s 
uh, you just like punched him until he went down. And that's just not how you beat Carnage. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's a fair point. I, so you're wrong, Josh. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm saying in terms of level design though, it's, it's, it's in a, it's in a small circular room. <laughs> it feels like it's in the office of a, mm. of a, of a, of Doc Ock's building or whatever the facility is. And, uh, you know, it, it, it feels like everything gets scaled back a lot for that. And it's also, it's just a bit of a fiddly stage and the, the, the voice for Carnage isn't particularly good. It's kind of screechy and kind of annoying. Anyway, that's a small nitpick. The, 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 in terms of, you know, translating a comic to a game, it, it suffers from the same pitfalls that a lot of games do, which is that you you can't just, although it does do this to, to a certain extent, you can't just go from boss to boss. And so you, you need underlings, you need cannon fodder. And I feel like that's where this game falls short, if anywhere, is that you have particularly the latter half of the game where you're fighting symbiotes that can only be defeated one way uh, with with uh, fire web. And it just becomes a bit tedious. And I end up, whenever I replay it now, I just you, you can literally just run past all the enemies and complete the game in, in a matter of hours because it, it, it's quite frustrating. And that's that's where it's not as successful in translating. Um, and and there's, you, you know, there's a compromise there when, when you translate a game and... I would, as much as you know, you can compare this game to the Arkham series. I would also say that, and I'd love to know um, Chris Baker's perspective on this, having worked on it. But the Shattered Dimensions, I feel like, in a way, is the spiritual successor to this game because it it does away with the open world thing. And I think, I think um, there's a compromise there. You you either have the open world, or you, I think, linearity in something like a Spider-Man game, you can better translate. The, the kind of melodrama and soap opera elements of Spider-Man, which is what makes that character for me. Because I would compare something like Spider-Man 2 to, you know, people say, oh, the most important thing, the primary thing that they have to get right with Spider-Man PS4 is the web swinging. But when you open a Spider-Man comic, you don't just want to read panel after panel of Spider-Man swinging around yep. New York. You want mm-hmm. the melodrama. It's much more about the personal. And I think that's where this game, I'm now shifting into what it does right. That's what this game does really well. And in terms of you know boss battles um one of the parts that i played through today just to refresh my memory was the the rhino boss battle and a lot of the boss battles are you know the the puzzles and and it really puts you into that mindset of spider-man of of seeing a problem and you know spider-man isn't a brute he's not a brawler as such he he has to approach a problem and he has to see how we can work it out. And I think that it does that really well. The Rhino one where you've got to lure Rhino into, you know, either explosive barrels or the um, kind of ele- electric uh, generators. And, you know, there are, again, to wax lyrical about Arkham, there are elements of that in Arkham. I'm thinking of the, the clay face battle in Arkham City, that, things like that, that, that feels, or even the Bane battle in Arkham And the Asylum. Mr. Freeze fight too in, in City. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. One of the best boss battles I can think of really. And, yeah. you know, there's definite lineage there. And, and I think that that also, that, that pays respect to the character, you know, that, that, that boss battle can only be conceived with Rhino if there is a fundamental understanding of the Rhino as a, as a character. Um, so I think that does, you know, it's really successful in that respect. I also, you know, going back to the voice actors, uh, you know, you said about Reno Romano, who I, I, I feel was, kind of the last of the old guard of of Spider-Man voice actors 
you know, in the same camp as uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes. And I, mm. I feel like after that point, from kind of Neil Patrick Harris onwards, and, and particularly with Josh Keaton, the character became more kind of uh, teen orientated and kind of a bit more edgy and, you know, to each their own, but that's less to my taste. So I really appreciate having, you know, again, that that uh, contributes to it being a, a kind of a time capsule for Spider-Man. But then you also have Jennifer Hale returning uh, from Spider-Man, the animated series, and also Spider-Man Unlimited as Black Cat and Mary Jane. And then you mm. have, um, I'm going to get this name wrong, but uh, Ephraim uh, Zimbalist. Ephraim Zimbalist, yes. Yeah. So and and you know the, we get the German Doc Ock that first debuted in in the animated series, and then the last thing in terms of what what it gets right, you know, I could gush about this game for hours about what it gets right, but <laughs> in terms of things, oh, just one other thing is that <laughs> the the color of it, you know, this is the most colorful I think Spider. Well, there certainly hasn't been a, a Spider Man game as colorful since this game, and and it really does feel like it's it's the it's the four color sixties comics brought to life and, and particularly you know what's so distinctive and what made the those those 60s um silver age comics so successful is this interconnectivity between the world and this like long-form storytelling and and this game could be you know the first 40 48 issues of of the lee and ditko spider-man in terms of the the villains and things like that and you get references to the green goblin you get a reference to craven the hunter and um in, yeah, in terms of the the color and everything, it, and oh, sorry, the interconnect, interconnectivity. You, you get, you know, right at the beginning of the game, you get the four freedoms plaza, you get the the Punisher stuff, and you know, you get Daredevil popping in. And I remember playing that at the time, and it and it it appealed to the same part of me that comics appeal to, which is that wow, this this feels like I'm in this world. It was very very immersive, much more so than something like Tomb Raider or or, or another 3D action game equivalent where. Those worlds are kind of generic. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not deriding those games at all, but you know the. But you didn't have an emotional connection to those worlds like you would as something like Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, true. So, anyway, the the last thing in terms of, and I really feel like this is you know something that's that's lasted from this game is that, to my knowledge, well, the the Tommy uh, Tallarico, if that's how you pronounce his last name, the the soundtrack. I think that this is kind of the first time with the exception of the animated series that you get that kind of in, industrial rock and techno kind of soundtrack yeah. to to spider-man the character and that to this day people associate that with with the character and you listen to something like the soundtrack to ultimate spider-man uh and you know that th- th- it's it feels like that the music side of it and for me as a, you know my background is in music and in sound design and so all that stuff especially with comic book games is so important because you're taking a medium a comic book medium which which you know where you're having to put those sounds into it in your head with with written sound effects and things like things like that and and when it's like articulated in real sound if it's done successfully it, it has to it can't be jarring to what you've imagined is what i'm saying and i and i really feel like the sound and the audio in this game you know that might be something that goes overlooked but it it really it ties that that comic book version of Spider-Man together for me. Yeah, no, that's that's very well said, and I I totally agree with that. The thing that comes in my mind, at least, just about the like the uh, the opening theme and the end credits theme, it's almost like the '90s animated show and the original '67 cartoon theme had a baby, 
and like their their baby was that which which i i think is great but chris kind of jumping on to a point that that josh was making there as someone who has worked on games with this character how much uh if at all do prior games like spider-man 2000 on something like shattered dimensions how much does that stuff come into play yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate assessment that Josh said that it, it was kind of a spiritual successor to that. I mean, uh, one of the kind of big internal questions we had when we decided to let, uh, uh, you know, Spider-Man uh, Chatter Dimensions move forward as it was, was like, you know, people are really used to open world Spider-Man games now. Are they going to see this as a step back? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, the, the argument for it was like, you know, you can really tailor the levels to be like really uh really reflect the character in his world and the story you want to tell and that sort of thing you can do that better in a in a game like that which you know was very well demonstrated in the 2000 game so you know it certainly was no official sequel to it or anything but i i think uh it was certainly a reference point and um you know, and I, and I think that the people who enjoyed Shattered Dimensions probably uh, had fond memories of this 2000 game. And I think the people who did not, uh, you know, their big knock against it was that it did that it had no open world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they were probably the types who were more interested in the mechanics that Spider-Man 2 brought along more so than the character of Spider-Man in his world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, there, there's definitely some connection between those, uh, you know, actually, uh, I did think of, of, a, of a, a wrong thing for this game that we have not talked about yet. Oh, please. And, yes. uh, that I is the fact actually. that the, the <laughs> webs do not attach to anything. Ah, yes. so, uh, you can web swing into the, the sky, which, you know, is something that was also brought back in later games like the amazing Spider-Man and. It's just like a suspension of disbelief thing, or you can say right. there's a, there's a helicopter there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you really want to get super nitpicky, like that's something you can do. But I would argue too that the fact that we really never had this swinging sensation in a game before, which you know I think is what really made me love it from the start, because you do it almost right away. Um, that more than makes up for just that suspension of disbelief. It's like, if you're going to complain about that, then you should complain about the fact that it takes six shots to kill somebody in call of duty or something. Right. Yeah, (laughs) sure. And And then they can just sit behind a, 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 behind something and heal, you know, like (laughs) it's that kind of, that kind of thing. Well, and the swinging too, in this game, you, you could not swing indefinitely, which I think uh, balances it a little bit. Right, yeah, I forgot about that. There's a there's finite uh, web fluid. Well, right? it's three swings before you're grounded, so you'll do like one. It, it, how the levels are done, I feel it's like every building is spaced apart such that you can get there in about two to three swings, and at the third one, he just starts to go towards the grounds or whatever surface you're on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was the thing that you thought of, uh, Blair, that that it got wrong? Oh, yeah. In the Mysterio fight, because you find that there's a there's a doppelganger and he he has a dialogue with Mysterio. And then Mysterio says, I've been wanting to shut that mouth up for decades. And I was like, 
okay, so <laughs> yeah, decades in the comics, but he hasn't been Spider-Man for decades. He looks like he's in his 20s, so I guess maybe his 20s and his teens are two decades. Yeah, I, I never cared for that line of dialogue. It's always bothered me. And I just remember the old floating the the floating timeline is a perennial problem of of comic book narrative fiction. I I can't tell you how many times, especially you know working as a retailer when the New Fifty Two started, uh, how many questions I got about wait a second they've only been heroes for five years, but how could Dick Grayson have been Robin and now he's Nightwing and that was supposed to have been a long time. This stuff doesn't fit, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm just. Gonna I think it's literally possible, literally impossible for a character like Batman or Spider Man or someone who's had literally thousands of stories written about them yeah. to exist in one lifetime, yeah. much less like their 20s to 30s. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not very. So yeah, it's suspension of disbelief again. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Always. Can- also, I. I would interpret it that as as uh, is that not a fourth wall break? There's like a lot of fourth True. wall breaking yeah. like dialogue and things like that. You know, I would say the, that too. Bill, billboards for um, you know Wolverine, Captain America, and it's like why <laughs> why would there be billboards for for Wolverine? Activision yeah. billboards in Times Square that showed up in some of those later games. Yeah, there's also a, a Jeffrey Jeffrey Swinger. <laughs> Isn't there a uh, Visit Latveria, or am I thinking of a different Spider-Man game? Oh, there's a, a billboard that. that says Visit Latveria. I do not remember yeah, that. But it that... might have been the. I remember there's a Jerry Springer style fonted ad in the Police Chase. Uh, I <laughs> I don't remember. Isn't there Tony Hawk? Isn't Tony Hawk Two playing somewhere? And Spider-Man is technically yeah, in that's, that that's game. A... <laughs> yeah, that's in Jay Jonah's office. <laughs> and then there's the, the Tony Hawk's billboard. And uh, sorry, this is getting just really <laughs> chatting about the. No, that's all right. It's funny. But um, yeah, the if you if you go past the billboard, Spider Man will say, "Oh, Tony Hawk, I skated with that guy." <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah that, that's... because he's a playable character in uh, Tony Hawk Two, I believe. Yeah. Yep. That's that's fun and that yeah that is absolutely suspension of disbelief fourth wall breaking uh easter egg kind of jokes and i can yeah you know the game just doesn't take itself that seriously as a whole right yeah true and that's good that's fine Mm -hmm. it's a video game about congo characters yeah totally well is there anything about the 2000 game that you guys feel might be missing from the spider-man games that would follow did it do something you would have liked to see more of in subsequent games or did it do a pretty good job of capturing him considering both the source material and the technology of the time? Blair, what do you think about that? Um, I think going towards Chris's point and about Shatter Dimensions in this game is that I actually prefer the linear game, Spider-Man games, to the open world ones because I feel that with the open world Spider-Man games, and, and again, I maybe probably will be proven wrong on Friday, that so much <laughs> emphasis is putting into the mechanics that everything else feels like an afterthought. Uh, like oh, as sure. good as Spider-Man no, Two is, for example, like every level where you're not swinging around to me is an absolute nightmare. Um, like I hate swinging to the Statue of Liberty. I hate being in that small enclosed theater in the Mysterio level. Like everything is just so frustrating when you're not doing just 
casually swinging around outside. And what I what I really like about this game, and I guess I don't want to really get into the sequel, which is I they're almost like one giant game. I'm referring to Spider Man Two Enter Electro. I really miss the set pieces um, mm-hmm. because this the open world games again. It's it's mechanically excellent and so groundbreaking. But this one you have like the police chase and then the uh, the section in the sewers and the mazes and an inter-electro. One of my favorite levels is there's a runaway plane that you have to stop with your webbing. And I really like those things that take advantage of Spider-Man's powers as opposed to just really just getting around. And that's what I really love about these games and how more how focused the story allows it to be like chris mentioned like you can do so much more drama when you entail your levels to spider-man's abilities when you're not just having this big open world so that's what i really miss Mm -hmm. and that's what i i felt uh in the in the latter beanox games in amazing spider-man one and west two that i think if they maybe got a, a third pass they would have married the two where they would have had open world and levels but that that didn't happen but yeah that's my favorite thing is is the set pieces and how tailored they are and how you can mix it up like the first level is there's no villains but you get used to sneaking around and finding exits and only spider-man can like you have greats on the ground so you have to know to zip up to the ceiling and crawl through somewhere Mm -hmm. um and yeah, just in the, the later levels, like when you're in Doc Ock's base and you have to, on easy, there's a bridge that goes through the entire thing, but on normal and hard, you have to swing to these platforms and hit these lasers and avoid them. And and I really miss stuff like that as it went into 2 and Ultimate, which are, they're still very good games and I love Ultimate Spider-Man, but I definitely missed how varied and focused this game and to a lesser extent its sequel were sure very understandable now chris you have kind of a unique perspective on this since you worked on several of the following spider-man games so you know kind of in hindsight uh was there anything that the 2000 game was able to do that you guys maybe weren't able to sort of implement in later games or something you would have liked to see and kind of as you and both Blair alluded to with, you know, having more focus in linear games, is that something you agree with? Yeah, you know, I think it, it certainly helps not just Spider-Man, but any like story driven, you know, character focus game to uh, have more, uh, you know, kind of kind of uh, scripted levels, I guess. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it's still don't think it's impossible to have a an open world game that uh, plays that way. It's just a lot more work and, and uh, you know, I think Insomniac's probably going to prove it out. That's, that's my hunch. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in, in terms of uh, things missing, I think between this game, I, well, I guess you could throw Inter Electro in there as well. Between Inter Electro and uh, Shattered Dimensions, we did have, ultimate spider-man which was uh you know very set in the ultimate universe and then we had a ton of movie games right <laughs> like and uh, you know if you count up all the different iterations of movie games it's uh on different consoles and, and handhelds and such it's 
probably in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 there's altogether. There's four each for Spider-Man uh, 2 and 3. Not counting the end cage yeah. and the PC. I thought it was, it was more than four for oh, Spider-Man right. 2. Spider-Man yeah, 2 like that. Just counting like dedicated consoles, <laughs> I know there's the console and the PC yeah. and the Game Boy and the DS and the PSP and the end gauge. And you run through all of those in the Spider Madness panel, which is definitely something yeah, people should right. check out if they haven't already. Um, but yeah, but you know, just the the fact that it was a very like pure comic based experience, I think, uh, is something that the games, you know, I, I don't want to push aside Ultimate because that's in some ways the next evolution of what this was. I think, sure. uh, you know, because it did have an open world, it was a that's a whole other uh, topic, but I, I definitely want to give props to Ultimate. It's a, it's a great game. But uh, in, in terms of like the traditional like 616, if you want to call it that, Spider-Man, even though this did feel more animated series in some ways, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, there really there was a huge gap between uh, these two PS1 games and then Shattered Dimensions would really be the next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think in that sense, something w- was missed the, co- the, the old school comic bookness of it all. The ultimate brought some great new school comic bookness in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, even the movie games, you know, like I said, in the 2002 game, they, they modeled their, their villains after, uh, the, the early villains that Spider-Man fought in the comics. So. There was certainly a comic inspiration. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's still, you, you know, Green Goblin still looks like a Power Ranger villain, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, nothing against Green Goblin in that movie. I, I was, I love that yeah, movie. It's great. Of course. Uh, so, but yeah, in terms of like the stuff I worked on, you know, I, I think we, we just wanted to do Spider Man as right as we could given what we had to work with uh in, in a certain way you know you had shattered dimensions was, was super comic booky mm-hmm. you know not just the amazing spider-man as this would be but ultimate and noir in 2099 as well edge of time uh had a shorter production schedule but i think it actually had there's a huge plot hole in it but i think it actually at the end of the day had a a, a better story in terms of being a story-based experience mm-hmm. uh then you get to the amazing uh movie games and you know you ha- we had to live in the amazing movie game world right but you know we also tried to apply uh the comic bookness uh as much as we could that it would fit within this uh kind of different take that uh you know mark webb's vision was so uh so yeah i don't know if if I don't know if anything was missing necessarily. Uh, I would say more so that the kind of spirit that went into this game is very indicative of the kind of spirit that went into the games that I worked on. Yeah. No, excellent. Great perspective. Josh, what do you think? Uh, do you think that there's anything missing in subsequent games uh, that the 2000 game had or, uh, or do you have a different take? Uh, no, I, I agree, uh, particularly with, with Blur. I think he touched on a lot of the stuff that I wanted to say, especially about set pieces. And and I too, you know, the thing I'm most excited about for on uh, with the release of Insomniac Spider-Man on Friday is is to see how well they've got that marriage between linearity and storytelling and the open world. 
And, you know, from what we've seen, you know, the, the most recent kind of big footage we got um, was the, the electro battle at the raft. And, and that, that was a set piece. That was a big, huge set piece. And, and and a lot of that actually, you know, reminded me of the ending of, uh, of the sequel to never saw Spider-Man enter electro. And it, you know, I, the the games in the interim between now and then, I I feel like there has always had to be some compromise there, particularly on the on the on the movie license things because, you know, you can't fit in every aspect of of the character. And to me, the the NeverSoft Spider Man is is kind of the. It's it's so appropriate for the time because it it really neatly is 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 that that snapshot of what spider-man is at that point and what they can do with the hardware and it's and, it, and it's the most neat kind of distillation of the character for me and everything since then has kind of had some kind of baggage or something something missing and and that's why it is my my favorite and you know as excited as i am for friday i'm not overly optimistic that it will knock it off as my mm-hmm. favorite as great as, I, as i'm sure it'll be um uh Another point I, it just occurred to me when when Chris was talking about the um, about shattered dimensions as a, as a spiritual sequel is is the Stan Lee narration, yeah. Uh, which you know that again that just contributes to this idea that you know when playing Spider Man Two or even Ultimate or you know anything since I'm swinging around in New York that doesn't feel like the Marvel New York to me. It feels like new york (laughs) but it doesn't you know it it doesn't feel like the marvel new york and and these are superficial things but um seeing that you know the the sanctum sanctorum and um the avengers tower are in insomniac spider-man that that is really exciting to me because that feels like that'll be the first time since the 2000 game that it that it feels like there is a larger universe at play here Mm -hmm. and um you know, just things like uh, you know the the all the costumes. This was the first game to to, to have unlockable costumes, as far as I'm aware, and you know the the collectible comics and things like that. That's that's become such a, a key component of Spider-Man games and superhero games in general since then. And that that in itself, in an open world game, that can become bloated. And and you know, I think of Web of Shadows. You know, there was like 500 collectible spiders that didn't mean anything and i like an idiot collected every single one <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know it's it's about neatness to me and and this game is 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 the pinnacle of of that really tidy representation of the character without any messiness if that can makes i sense. can i just uh jump in and say that i, I totally forgot about web of shadows for some reason that was definitely a comic <laughs> That was definitely a comic book game, uh, too, and and it was a pleasure. It was my first Spider-Man game I got to work on, and I feel rather foolish for saying that uh, that there was that huge gap, but it was still a very uh, movie kind of world at that point, anyway. Oh, sure. Um, and, you know, I, I actually, I, I, I do think there was, in that game, there was a lot of, like, general Marvel Universe representation. You know, you met up with Luke Cage and Moon Knight and uh stark tower was there and it's like it had the void up top too didn't it uh yeah 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 Yeah, the the yeah the way it looked in new avengers you had black widow uh that that was a a super uh yeah that was super involved there was even a scene where he's like you know 
he's trying to call like the Fantastic Four and they're out of town and you know the Avengers are in another universe or something. <laughs> it, 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 it accounts for like you know why aren't all these other big name superheroes There's a boss uh, battle pitching with Wolverine in. that uh, tests your Marvel trivia. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I, I, I wrote that. <laughs> awesome. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, it, it's either awesome or terrible, depending on who you ask. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going with awesome. Yeah, I, I'm not going to take full credit. I don't. I just to set the record straight, I don't want to take full credit for that scene existing, but I did write the questions. Awesome. That are asked. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I it's my podcast. I say awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, this has been a great conversation. I got one final question for you. And uh, you guys have kind of alluded to this over the course of the, the whole discussion, but I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, just making a kind of final declarative statement to close things out. So if you had to quantify the position of this game, both in your own mind and also in the sort of canonized legacy of Spider-Man gaming, at least before the release of the Insomniac game, which we're recording a few days before it comes out. Where do you think it sits? Josh, I think I know what you're going to say personally, but please take it away. Well, I mean, to me, I do go back and forth between this and Ultimate Spider-Man because, again, I feel like that is, as I, as I was just saying, it you know, that had a very clear vision of what it wanted to do and what it wanted to represent. And, and I feel like it was very successful mm-hmm. in that. But ultimately, you know, I like these retro games and these are the things that I go back to because they're the version of Spider-Man that I love. I don't, you know, everything that's come since, I've not been so active in reading and things like that. So this this game, you know, it's it's this, it feels the same as the animated series to me, the 90s animated series. It's It's... It's my spider. Right. <laughs> that sounds, sure. you know, kind of dweeby, but but it is. Um, so yeah, it would have to be number one to me in terms of you know where it sits in the in the legacy. I think objectively, in terms of what has what in terms of influence, certainly, and you know what has turned out to define what a superhero game is, and particularly a Spider Man game. Spider Man Two is kind of objectively, quote unquote, the the better mm-hmm. game. Um, and, but, but really, you know, going back to this, you know, I said at the beginning of the, of the, of the conversation, but Spider-Man 2000 is the, the Sergeant Pepper, it's the Arkham Asylum, it's the Jaws, it's whatever you want to say. It was the watershed moment for, uh, superhero games. You know, there's no getting around that really. So that's where it stands for me in terms of legacy. Blair, how about you? Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, it hovers or it always hovers around the top for, it's, (laughs) I'll throw out a dark horse and I'm probably one of the few people who put the amazing Spider-Man on Game Boy up towards the top because that's just and that's just personal because that was the first ever Spider-Man and superhero game I ever owned. But I I mean, I was there's a big piece in US Gamer that everyone should read by Alex Kane. It's the oral history of Spider-Man 2. And you see how much of the DNA from this game made it into that game and the first movie game they admit a lot of it had to do with refining the mechanics from this game and i believe it was revealed i don't know if it was ever stated that that project started out as a playstation 2 i don't know if it was going to be a port or an upgrade to this title um 
but you wouldn't have Spider-Man 2 without this game. It, mm. For this, it, it hovers around the top between this ultimate Maximum Carnage um, and, and Shattered Dimensions, almost at Separation Anxiety. Um, <laughs> but even, there might be some games I like better, but this game is just so much more infinitely replayable. Uh, I a couple of months ago i only i had this on the dreamcast exclusively as i'm a i'm a huge dreamcast fan and this is one of the this dreamcast version is the best for a few reasons namely the visuals and the like the webs on spider-man's costume are important to me and, and the mask on black cat's face um but i bought it on the playstation so i can just play it in my playstation 3 and just throw it in there and it, it's you don't have to make a big commitment for this. Like I feel if you start a lot of Spider-Man games, it's it's something that's going to take a while. But for this, you just throw it in, put it on easy, and you can go through the entire thing, whether you watch the cutscenes or not. And it's and it's still enjoyable to do. And it's something I, I do all the time. Like I said, I did last week because I, I just bought the N64 game because I said, well, I own the other two. I might as well own the third one. <laughs> I don't own the PC game. I guess that's next on the list and the Kellogg's exclusive demo thing. Um, but yeah, as much as I might love something or the refinements of something like Ultimate Spider-Man, you know, I, I know when I start that game, it's a commitment to see it to the end or to get to some of the better parts. But with this, you can just you can consume it all in an hour and, it, and it's a great hour. And that was a I, I feel it was a knock against it. At least that's what a, a lot of my call our friends said back in high school is it said it was it was too short and yeah it is a short game but it's also something that you can replay on diff like higher difficulties whether you're searching for comics or just there's a few mini games you can do there's just so much in there that it's just impossible not to love and how important it was you think of the 2000s when it was the x-men movie and spider-man and yes there was blade you can't discount that but spider-man the x-men were the ones that that really kicked things in the high gear in that year as joss brought up uh, i i got mutant academy coming off of x-men hype and i love mutant academy and then you had this and then suddenly it was okay to be excited for a comic book game which was something for the majority of the playstation even a lot of the super nintendo 16-bit era you were still a bit trepidatious about but uh mm -hmm. yeah I, it's just a great game and i you know it's 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 so I, I just sigh a little because my think about discoverability of a game like this and how licensing means it will never get remade or re-released easily um so i i just hope if if anyone really wants to try it i mean get the playstation version get it on a playstation 3 it's still looks okay the controller is great so yeah it's don't you know kind of forget this or you know go back and play it for the first time i guess mm -hmm. you know i actually have uh blair mentioned the the kellogg's exclusive version which i don't know if you talked about in your I show chris not. but there was a uh there was a uh in 2002 there was a giveaway uh, on, you know, Kellogg cereals. I don't remember which exactly, but it was the the PC version of this game through the Rhino fight, I believe. Uh, the only difference was that he was wearing the movie costume. 
so, you know, and that, that was a, just a free giveaway and you can buy it pretty cheap off of eBay. I got one for like four dollars or something. Oh, wow. Um, and then I put it in my modern C, uh, my modern PC, expecting it to have like an error, like most games of that era do. And it worked. It worked perfectly. Oh, awesome. Uh, so that would lead me to believe that the PC version probably works as well. Um, you know, don't quote me on that if it doesn't work on your PC, but, uh, I think that might even be the easiest way and maybe even the cheapest way to get it. Probably with, uh, yeah, actually I, um, I played the PC version not too long ago, just the, the regular retail release. And uh, it worked. It worked fine. It seemed like it had some of the enhancements that I attribute to the Dreamcast version, uh, and it had a much higher frame rate. Uh, but even though some of the animations are animated at thirty, but the actual gameplay is sixty, so seems to run okay. And if that's the way that you want to do it, yeah, I I echo those sentiments exactly because it's not an expensive game to find for for pc by any stretch of the imagination it's pretty expensive on the other consoles though is it it's uh uh yeah you know it's i don't know it's probably in, in the 20s i think on playstation then i've been looking at dreamcast because i i recently got my first dreamcast oh, cool. and i'd like to have it on that but it's like 45 dollars, oh, wow. so it's like yeah you know i go to these retro gaming conventions and and that's about the running price for it on dreamcast Thanks. uh so I, I don't know what PC is going for exactly, but probably not that much because PC games in general are cheaper. Yeah, right. So uh, I think that's probably, if you're looking to get it, your most cost-effective way to do sure. it. Well, Chris, if you had to quantify this game in your own mind and in the larger legacy of Spider-Man gaming, could you do it? Where would you put it? I hate this question. <laughs> but Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, there, there's so many different things that, you know, you, you consider when it's like, is it the the best or is it the most influential mm -hmm. or, you know, like when you go, when you rank things or whatever, because uh, I, I do think it, the argument could be made. It is the most influential mm -hmm. um, because it did influence Spider-Man 2, which I think would be the biggest one to compete with it in terms of uh, influence. Um. And just, you know, nostalgically speaking, I think for me, it came at a, a very good time when I was very hungry for a good comic book game because we hadn't seen one in a very long time. Yeah. Uh, so for those reasons, it's definitely near the top, if not the top. Uh, my other personal favorite is probably Shattered Dimensions, uh, largely because I worked on it and it was very much in the vein of this sure. game. Um, so, you know, the, that's like the, the personal, uh, skew on this, uh, the more objective skew is that, you know, uh, Spider-Man two is just far and away the favorite game of, uh, of, of the general gaming public. Um, I think that the more like the more into Spider-Man you get and the, uh, I don't, know, I don't know if I want to say the older you are, but uh, if you're closer to my age, maybe you uh, you appreciate what we're kind of uh, comic booky stuff. But, um, you know, like uh, 
this this game and, and I think Ultimate definitely are the and, and Shattered are the, the ones that are really great for uh, people wanting like a, a good Spider-Man story mm-hmm. or, or Spider-Man universe. Um, you know, Web of Shadows is up there, too. <laughs> uh, it's it, I think there's like little bits of greatness in pretty much every game since this game. Sure. Uh, and if Insomniac is like taking the, the bits of greatness that maybe the other games kind of slacked on here and there, uh, then, you know, they, they easily have the best Spider-Man game ever outside of like, what's obviously the biggest budget of a Spider-Man game. Uh, so that's very rambly, but I I hope it answered your question in some way. I I think it did. (laughs) Actually, I do have a, a kind of fun story if we're, we're winding down yes, here now. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, back in my official PlayStation days, uh, actually, Josh's mention of uh, X- X-Men Mutant Academy uh, sparked this memory in my mind. I did the cover story for X-Men Mutant Academy. Uh, you know, it was the it was the X-Men movie game, essentially. It came out about that time. And, you know, that was like a very hyped movie. Uh, so I did that cover story. I was like three months into my job at OPM at the time. So still pretty green. And I had the opportunity to interview Stan Lee, uh, you know, phone interview, but it's an interview with Stan Lee. I remember basically the night before not being able to sleep because I was so excited. Um, and then, you know, the time came, I interviewed him. It went great. It was awesome. Uh, and there was a point where, uh, it was kind of an initiative of a magazine at the time to try to get celebrities to like write columns for us. So I actually, I actually asked him if he'd be interested in writing a column for us. And he was like, yeah, you know, I'm old and I don't really know video games, but sure. Why not? (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) so he actually did two for us. Um, but you know, in, in, uh, kind of the course of that, uh, I, uh, you know, speaking to the fact that he didn't know much about video games, uh, you know, I was like, I'm going to take it upon myself to educate Stan Lee on Marvel video games right now. So I made a, uh, videotape because that's all I could really make at the time in 2000. Uh, I made a, a VHS, uh, tape of, I think it was every PlayStation Marvel game. So I made like clips from uh you know that incredible hulk game fantastic four game uh you know all these like really bad well marvelous capcom was in there you know some some decent stuff too but most of it was pretty bad uh and at the time this was spring of 2000 at the time i had a preview build of uh spider-man because it was still months from being released uh so i threw that on there too and i made like a like a point by point like you know at at one minute and six seconds he's making a web dome you know uh just so he could follow it and and understand what's happening uh so i i made this tape probably there's probably 10 minutes of spider-man footage on there another 10 minutes of other stuff and and like two weeks later he calls me. oh so Stanley calls me <laughs> and he's like, Chris, I just wanted to let you know that I just got this videotape and I'm a big fan of yours now. 
I know you put a lot of work into this and I really appreciate it. And I was like, you know, you're a fan of me. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, I was obviously very flattered, uh, you know, and and he was like, yeah. And he made his uh, he wrote a couple columns for us from there. So there was a a very brief uh, stint of time where I was in uh, fairly regularly regular communication with Stan Lee. We sent a couple emails back and forth. <laughs> just me directly with Stan Lee. It's kind of surreal. Awesome. I can't read, to re- read wow. your memoir yeah. someday. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> wow. Well, actually, uh, seven years later, was it? Seven years? Yeah, seven years later, uh, when I started at Marvel in late 2007, uh, he was there on the Spike TV uh, Video Game Awards to announce the Iron Man game. So uh, I got to be in his uh, his car that they picked him up from the airport on. And uh, and I I knew I was going to be there. So I brought one of my uh, several copies of that issue and I had him autograph it and it's framed on a wall. That's right spectacular. Now. It says the good old Chris Stanley. <laughs> I remember he said, I remember he said, uh, you know, I'll even uh, I'll even put my last name here because I guess he just signs a lot of Stan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's a great story. Well, I'm I'm kind of surprised yeah. that you haven't yeah, done something to that effect on thing. your channel. You're going to have to uh I at some point, yeah. at some point, you know. It's... Well, that's I did a Mark Hamill thing yeah, that's that, that was, that, that <laughs> was great too. I mean, really if anybody hasn't checked out your YouTube channel, then you really should or Josh's for that matter. But speaking of which, that's a great note to go out on. So Gentlemen, thank you for all taking the time out to talk about Spider-Man 2000. I really appreciate it. I think this has been a lot of fun. It's been really informative too, which is always what I like to go for with comics on consoles. So where can people find you online and what do they have to look forward from you in the near future? Josh, why don't you start us off? Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me on. I, I I was a big fan before I ever got talked to you. I was a big fan of the show, and it's it's the fact that you do go so deep on these games and make them informative and get so much behind the scenes thing. Sorry, oh, I'm well, just thank you, you know <laughs> singing your praises for a second. But yeah, it's uh, you know it's it's really unique because a lot of people who are covering these games, myself included, to some extent you know they're looking at, at the surface details, but the fact that that you are able to be so informed in these things is really admirable and fascinating well i appreciate that <laughs> i really do thank you very much but in terms of where you can find me um uh well you can find me youtube.com forward slash panels to pixels that's the best place to find me uh, and see my videos you can also follow me on twitter uh, at panels to pixels and um in terms of stuff coming up that you can look forward to for the past two months i've uh, been all i've been thinking about i've been living and breathing spider-man the animated series the 1994 series um, and I have trawled through the internet, through archives of old magazines, and I've watched every episode. And I am, it's all leading up to what I believe is the most comprehensive history of uh, Spider Man, the animated series, ever committed to film. Um, so I've no idea how long that's going to be at the minute. I think the, the draft I've got is about two hours long. So, <laughs> uh, wow. but that's, that should be a fascinating watch. I'll, I'll definitely be able to edit it down, it'll be more uh, palatable than that. Um, but also with Spider Man coming out, um, uh on friday things are gonna get busy and um yeah i've got a lot of stuff coming basically and 
a lot of surprises that I can't really talk about yet. But yeah, I'll have a review of Spider-Man coming uh, next week, hopefully, and things are going to ramp up. I've been a bit quiet, but things are going to be ramping up next month. Excellent. Sounds like there's a lot to look forward to there. Blair, where can people find you and what do people have to look forward to from you? And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? Uh, yeah, um, you can find my work at uh, comicgamersassemble.com. I've been taking a somewhat of a hiatus throughout this year um, because I'm working on a book, which uh, will be titled The uh, web of Spider-Man games, the amazing and the not so spectacular, uh, touches on most every Spider-Man game ranging from the year 1990 up until, um, well, previously it was going to be the amazing Spider-Man two, but I guess I can probably announce that there's probably going to be a insomniac Spider-Man chapter in there now because the game is coming out next week. And I have a bit of a vacation from my job in a two weeks time. So, yeah um look forward to that i'm going through some editing process right now and i have to do some image sizing and i guess if you want to find out when that will come out you can follow me on twitter at blarcade uh it's arcade just with a bl in front and you can also check out the comics gamers assemble facebook page that's where you'll see i post a lot of news and videos about comic book games including the work of these fine gentlemen that I'm with and like Josh, I just want to uh, say how, how great it is to be in the presence of everyone here. Uh, it's very humbling to be uh, among such great people. Um, you know, Chris has his great stories. I, I remember mine. It's such a minor thing. As everyone finds out about finding one another, whether through the shows or online, uh, I went to go see a movie called Nightcrawler. It's not based on the X-Men. It was a, Jake Gyllenhaal movie and I went by myself and I was checking my Twitter feed and I, I saw that this guy Chris Baker had followed me and I was like oh, well who's this guy and then I looked up and I think I ran home after the movie and I was like holy crap this guy who's worked on all these things is following me why this is crazy but yeah um, yeah it's great to be here it was a lot of fun I never miss an opportunity I was probably writing about Nightcrawler at that point so <laughs> there's the <laughs> I think your book came out not too long after that um, well, I mean I, I discovered your channel working on that book yeah I, I guess so, uh, we do a lot of Google searches for most superhero games I'll probably your website I mean I guess I think I'm yeah. used to saying channel now. <laughs> <laughs> your Google most superhero games I'll either be on page one or page two uh, yeah, I haven't produced a lot this year. I did produce a article a week or two ago about um, how Insomniac Games' previous history is influenced how what they're probably going to do with uh, this upcoming Spider-Man game. So check that out. But yeah, other than that, just find me on Facebook, check my Twitter for any updates I have on my book, and I'll share them when they become available. Excellent. Well, you absolutely deserve to be with us here because this is a great Spider-Man discussion. I've really enjoyed having you be a part of it. And uh, I'm really glad that you were the one that was able to bring us all together. So thank you, sir. Much appreciated. It's entirely possible, Blair, that you have written more stuff about superhero video games than anybody else in the world. <laughs> it's very possible. Yeah, maybe I, I should. Uh, talk I'm probably right behind you, but should, it's, it's very possible. <laughs> I should talk to Guinness. They, they, didn't, they didn't take on the biggest superhero video game collection. <laughs> Hey, there you go. There you go. Excellent. 
Well, Mr. Baker, where can people find you and what do people have to look forward from you in the near future? Uh, yeah, the easiest place to find me uh, is at cbake76 on Twitter. And if you go there, you can find links to all the things. But uh, superhero.vg, as in superhero video games, is my uh, YouTube channel. And there's uh, a, a growing uh, library of content there that I just kind of make stuff happen when I can. Uh, you know, it's it, it's a hobby for me. It's not a job, so I can just make videos whenever I have the time and inclination. Uh, right now, you know, there's tons of stuff that I'd like to do. Who knows if I'll get around to do it. There's something I'd like to do with the Venom movie coming out. There's stuff I'd like to do just in general. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be more stuff about the video game, the new uh, Insomniac game. That is a very huge part of the reason people go to my channel. Uh, sadly, it's not for my death and return of Superman videos as much as I'd like people to watch those. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so I'm also I've been working on the sequel to my book for quite a while. It's probably going to be 2019 sometime at this point. Um, and I am it, very busy right now working with uh, Zen Studios on a project that has not been announced. It has nothing to do with uh, superheroes or pinball or anything like that. But uh, Zen <laughs> Studios is uh, one of my favorite video game developers of all time. And uh, I'm very privileged to be very closely associated with them now. Uh, so yeah, there's a, just a lot of little things going on. So check out my Twitter, I guess is the best <laughs> quickest <laughs> way to, to summarize that. Awesome. Well, Again, guys, thank you for taking the time out to join me on this discussion. It's been a lot of fun talking about a great game, of course, and uh, it's always uh, it's always great to be in in the presence and to to talk with such clear fans of both the video game medium and of the Spider Man character and Marvel at large. So, uh, again, thank you, guys, and we will dismiss it from here. That's going to do it for Comics on Consoles issue number 11.1, the discussion pertaining to Neversoft's Spider-Man from the year 2000. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as we enjoyed talking about it, and again, a very special thanks to my guests Chris Baker, Josh Sutton, and Blair Farrell for joining me so we could gush about one of the webhead's most defining video game experiences. Hopefully you came right into this after listening to issue number 11, where I explore in-depth all of the factors that would lead to Spider-Man 2000 being such a standout experience in the character's interactive history. If not, go listen to it right now. It was released right alongside the discussion you just heard, and should be pretty easy to find wherever you came upon this issue of the podcast. Just in case you may have missed it, be sure to come back to us next year, as Comics on Consoles issue number 12 examines one of my all-time favorite 16-bit era comic book video games. The Death and Return of Superman, developed by Blizzard Entertainment and published by Sunsoft in 1994. In the meantime, feel free to follow Comics on Consoles on Facebook and Twitter, check out our website, comicsonconsoles.com, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app of choice. Comics on Consoles is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network. Until next time, keep saving the world, gamers and comics fans. After all, now more than ever, the world needs people who continue to believe in heroes. So, 
why not play one in a video game? Thanks again for listening, take care, and we will talk with you again soon. Spider-Man.